Our favorite albums is supported by Complete Data Systems. It is a fun time to be in the retail industry now, with market sales projections expected to explode post-COVID. If you're going to succeed in retail, you need retail software that tells you what your customers want to buy so that you can focus on building your enterprise and on making more money. Get started today with a free trial or pricing built for your business by visiting retailcds.com. Superstardom is elusive. It's not that every artist starts off learning an instrument with the intent on being a ubiquitous superstar splashed across every pop fan's ear across the world. But then again, maybe that is the dream. Maybe that is the motivation to be considered one of the best. You know, it doesn't happen for every artist. It's difficult to achieve, and it takes a lot of hard work and a lot more luck in being in the right place at the right time. For a Las Vegas band cobbled together from local acts on the Vegas music scene, it would be even more difficult to get noticed with the audacious spectacle of Sin City. But Brandon Flowers of the Killers had his sights set on being big time. So he and his new guitarist started writing songs and putting together a new sound that served as a departure from the sounds of the late 90s, highlighted by synth bop and R&B. As soon as they had their vision crafted, another band released an album that was exactly the style that they were aiming to create. Beaten to the punch and dejected, they used their disappointment as an influence for a whole new direction. What they ended up with exploded on pop culture with lasting effects, not only in the music industry, but also on pop culture as a whole. You know, sometimes we pick albums to discuss at our favorite albums that are complex and maybe even contain a puzzle that you have to solve if you're like an ardent fan. Sometimes the albums we pick are just lost in the shuffle of time and the zeitgeist of a past generation. Sometimes, however, we pick an album that just flat rocks. And that's the case for this one. In this episode of Our Favorite Albums, we're talking about the 2004 debut album by The Killers, Hot Fuss. Our Favorite Albums is a commentary, criticism, and music review podcast. All tunes are copyrighted and owned by the artist, not us. We just have to tell... <laughs> Motherfucker. We're just here to tell our opinions, which obviously are our own, and don't reflect any artist, a sponsor, or whatever. This is Our Favorite Albums. Welcome to Our Favorite Albums, where we take a single album and present it to you fully from cover to cover. I'm your host, Michael, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jason. What is going on? For the next little bit, we're going to be your guides into an album you undoubtedly have heard, but you probably didn't know all the details of what makes it so great. Today, we're talking about one of the most popular albums of the past 20 years, and that is the 2004 album, Hot Fuss, by The Killers. What a fun album this is. You know, <laughs> what's funny is what I knew about The Killers um, was that they were this pop group, right? And then, right. Uh, 
I, I always associated them with like club beats and uh, spectacle and lights right, and right. You know, laser shows and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I always I, liked there was music. A, a lot of image, fashion, kind yeah. of fancy, hipstery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I knew that the singer was kind of a pretty boy. Right. Um, you know, skinny, one of the early skinny jeans guys. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a <laughs> they, were like, they were like hipster fashion forward <laughs> exactly. before it was a thing. Yeah, 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 like hipster stuff, but from a pop pop culture right. standpoint, right? Um, but I always knew that it rocked. Uh, there, there were some bands that came out uh, during the early aughts that I, man, I, I just thought every time I listened to them, I'm like, man, that. That group just rocks, you know. Right. Uh, the White Stripes when they came out, yeah, yeah, just, absolutely, just, yeah, just rocked. Uh, th- these guys were in that group. Uh, there was a, a group called Jet that came out, yeah, that was absolutely, at the same time. Uh, the Strokes. Australian band, yeah, yeah three piece, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there was that. Do you remember that really weird British band um, that had the guy uh, had a real high pitched voice, and uh, it was like this like throwback seventies metal. Oh, okay, yeah, I know. Don't you knew. <laughs> oh oh oh! Uh, that, what, what group is well, that? Uh, mm, I'll think about it. In a yes, second. it's coming. I believe I, in a thing called love. love. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the darkness, darkness. The darkness. That's what it was. Yes, yeah. The darkness. Uh, and so, but but that was a time when R- rock and roll had an empty, had an interesting, sorry, an interesting yeah. kind of revitalization in the early aughts because we had come out of like the grunge of the '90s and then like the post grunge, and you had all that new metal stuff, which was just dark and down tuned, and then like the rap metal and yeah. all that kind of stuff, drop D stuff with yeah, that with it, that metal stuff, yeah, like all that kind of. And then there, all of a sudden, there was like, it was like rock and roll was fun again, yeah, kind of thing, you know. And you had like so this big like these big soaring anthems and catchy hooks yeah. and everything wasn't depressing. And it was, it was there, there's a whole lot of that right now. Sure. And the killers came out in that. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. And, and it's funny that for rock and roll fans who had, you know what, uh, you and I are both huge Radiohead fans. Uh, and what those guys did with Kid A. Sure. You know, go to like total synth. Uh, that, right. was, that was in 2000. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of that was a byproduct of kind of the R&B and the rap stuff and the DJ-centric sure. uh, type song. Electric but, music and whatnot that was very popular. Yeah. But but if you think about the last, uh, leading up to this time frame, uh, when this album came out was in 2004, uh, that dark stuff that you're talking about, that was right on the heels of ska music. Right. You know? uh, and that was right on the heels of coming out of post-grunge, which was... You know, it's kind of punky and kind of rock and roll, but sure. I mean, what happened to Green Day? What happened to Green Day when they started getting really big? They went towards this more like stadium anthem stadium type anthem. stadium it, rock, it, Yeah, right? they had an album this year as well. And is it, I haven't heard it, is, is it? Uh, it was the one that, uh, I'm not a huge Green Day fan, full disclosure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forget which one this was. It had American Idiot on it, and I think they... I think they beat the Killers out for the Grammy that year with that album, if okay. I remember correctly, but I could be mistaken. But anyway, yeah, you're right. They, they. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I thought you meant that Green Day had an album this year. You're talking oh, about no, in, in 2004, 2004, the year we're talking about. Yeah, I got yeah, it. I got it. Um, it. But you're right. It was stadium rock. I mean, yeah. it went from being like this punk thing to like this big orchestral, huge band on stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and the spectacle that is the Killers on their show, you know, they have uh, these uh, like Elvis Presley style light bulbs. Yes, that, that make the font of the word the killers. It's very Vegas. Yeah, it, and it's very like Kiss. You know, when you see a Kiss show, and it's just like Gene Simmons up there scowling with the demon makeup. Yeah, they have like palm fire. trees on stage, and it's it's a big. I've seen them a couple of times, and they put on a hell of a live show. Yeah, big show. It, but don't, do you think that is because this group uh, from Vegas? You know, they, they were they cut their teeth in Vegas. Uh, do you think that maybe they were trying to match some of that spectacle that? You know, to try oh, to be big? I, absolutely. I think so. And uh, I, I saw an interview with Brandon Flowers, um, and this was 
few years ago, but he actually said that. He said, you know, when we, we were starting out, we took you know, all these British influences that we had and we funneled them through the Las Vegas Strip. <laughs> and and I think that explains all of the all of that Vegas style showmanship that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the, the British accent because he feigns like a, a British accent, sort especially of, especially right? in the first album, right? Yeah. It's, especially in the first album, it's. I, I thought they were a British band initially, and I think most of the rest of the world did too. Well, you know, they were huge in in the UK. I Th- think. They I broke mean, their first actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and we'll get into this as we go, but uh, they were on the charts for like 173 weeks straight. With this album, right? I mean, this album stayed on the charts for 173 weeks. Well, and, and, and it's a funny thing. That's with, crazy. Oh, that's insane. It's a funny thing with these guys because um, a lot of like musicians that I know that are into the same kind of rock stuff I am. If you go the Killers, they go, oh, oh. come on, they got like keyboards, and it's like, would you go listen to them play? Just if you would go listen to the musicianship before you decide to write them off as just another pop band, and I think you'll have a whole new appreciation yeah. Yeah, because they're very talented players, and the craftsmanship is top-notch. I mean, these guys know what they're doing, and they do it really, really well. Yeah, really well. Uh, I, I was really impressed by uh, give you a real quick bio. Oh, yeah, let's get our run down here. Yeah, a uh, real quick bio of the group. Uh, Brandon Flowers is the singer, and I guess he's the one that, he's kind of the... The prominent songwriter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's... I, I wouldn't say that the Killers is him, but I mean, this was his band, right? He right. Was, I think he and Dave write most. That's the guitar player. Yeah. Uh, write most of the music together, but I think Brandon is the principal songwriter. Yeah, it's, it seems and like the synth yes. player. Yeah. Uh, so Brandon Flowers on vocals, and he plays synth. Uh, Dave Kooning or Kaning? I'm, I'm not sure exactly how you. Not how you sure either. Dave. Uh, yeah. A hot guitar player, man. Yeah, he's he, very he, good. He strokes some pretty hot licks, right? Yeah. Uh, the guy that, that to me is most compelling in this group is Mark Stormer, who the plays bass. Player. Bass. Yeah. He is fantastic. Yeah, he really is. And, and, listen, as a, as a wannabe bass player, I, <laughs> I always listen to the bass. But I mean, he has a couple songs, including the very first. Well, song yeah, right I was going to say game. when we start off on this, the bass is going to be so upfront in the songs that everybody will know exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of. And as I started listening to this when we first started uh, deciding to go down this album, uh, and by the way, the the way that we format our episodes here on our favorite albums is we take turns picking an album this time it was jason's and so this is jason's choice uh whoever gets to choose we uh we will listen to that in depth for a while and we listen to these albums from cover to cover you know from time to time i may turn it on and listen to one or two songs just to kind of get the idea but we listen to this from forward to back and so you know this album i think is about 45 or 50 minutes and so it's a 50 minute uh investment into time you sure. know once we start this thing and so yeah it takes us a little while to put one of these together uh, but when i started listening to this uh, the first thing i thought of was peter hook of new order and joy division yes you know? absolutely there's a lot of that uh that base forward from that 80s yeah. british stuff new wavy uk yeah uh like post-punk new wave with a lot of synth from the, the influence is strong yeah yeah and then i, I find out that i, I think that these guys copied some of the new order stuff you know these are the bands that they were the most into I mean, this yeah. is what everybody listened to and don't forget it when you're giving out the ronnie venucci jr yeah ronnie Venu- uh, on yeah, drums. On drums. yeah didn't want to leave the drummer out uh <laughs> he's he's also fantastic i mean he's he's one of my favorite parts of this band as well yeah and, and he's a really really good drummer i mean his, his time is and, just... and once again if everybody just if if you were to look at this band when they first came out as a rock fan and go, okay, well, I've got the clothes, and they've got the lights, and the synthesizers just belt me right upside the head here. Okay, um, move on, change the change the channel. Well, then you're missing out on what is a very solid rock band. They're just playing a very particular type of music. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's funny that you say that. Um, 
that I didn't really catch that the synth was really overpowering. I think on some of like if you listen to Depeche Mode, and I, I like Depeche uh, Mode. Okay, sure. Um, I, I think that you kind of get whipped with synthesizer after a bit. If you, know. if you predominantly listen to the kind of music that I like to listen to in a rock band, then I would say the synth is can be a little overpowered yeah, right yeah. off the top. There's but a lot of it. I, I didn't really catch that. Gotcha. In this album, but you're more. You? You're. I, I did. But you're initially. I did. I don't anymore. Now I think it fits right in. But you're also way more into a lot of the '80s British sure. bands than I yeah. ever was, as far as that goes. I was definitely a new waver. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I before I was a grunge kid, I was a you new was a new waver. New waver. Yeah. So that would put the synth right in your wheelhouse. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and I, you know, I like New Order. You know, um, I, I, think I like New Order in uh, 2021 now better than I did when sure. they were actually on the radio. I, I appreciate it more. I get that. Yeah, I get that. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the Killers, how they came about, uh, how these four guys came about playing together, uh, to really talk about what ended up being just. I use the term supernova so often, but these guys really were a supernova, and they continue to be. They're huge. They're still huge. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they met. um, All these guys live in Vegas. I think Ronnie Venucci Jr. had moved out there for college, and the other guy, uh, he was going to UNLV, and the other guys were there just because they were there. Yeah. And uh, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, Brandon answered an ad from uh, Dave. Yeah, the guitar player. Yeah, the guitar player had put out a... Back in the olden days, you put ads in the paper when you're looking for musicians. <laughs> yeah. you know? Hey, kids, we used to have these hey, things kids, called newspapers. newspapers. And it had like a musician's wanted section. And uh, so Dave put out an ad that he was looking for bandmates, and Brandon answered it. And they got together and started writing some songs and then brought the other two guys on. And as you said, you know, just, just started playing like crazy. Yeah. And from what I understand, Brandon was in like an all synth band. That was my understanding as well is that that's what he was doing initially and decide, you know, I need to do something a little bit more than just that. Maybe, maybe the full band thing is the way to go here. Sure. Maybe I can find some guys that have my vision, but we can turn this into a rock project. You know, you and I, uh, and our friend Patrick, uh, we, we have a band that we have together. You and I have played, uh, in, Mm -hmm. in, in a, a different format completely. You've been in bands up and down. You were in the Austin scene, uh, playing bands in the, in the 90s. Uh, you, could you imagine, I mean, you, you were in Austin trying to get people to come listen to your band. Could you imagine being in Las fucking Vegas <laughs> and trying to get people to pay attention to your band? To an original act? No, because I, everybody's there for the show. I mean, and I'm sure we, we go there as visitors. Sure. And I mean, obviously there are people that live there and work there, and I'm sure they go to, there's music clubs that you never see on the strip, I'm sure, where Probably. the local guys play. But yeah. to your point, it seems like you would be like drowned in a sea of white noise. Yeah. <laughs> well, you and I were in Vegas one time uh, on, a, on a business trip, and just like there, there was a group that we wanted to see called the Stone yeah, Fox. Foxes, uh, which, by the way, if you ever get a chance to see the Stone Foxes, you should line, absolutely see the Stone Foxes. They're what fantastic. A, what they a great blow band. The, they blow the roof off the drum. Yeah, uh, but but, we, but to your point though, like we went and it was, it was off the strip, off the strip. Yeah, we went down and found them at this bar, and this is like we bought tickets online. I mean, this is a band that was touring at yeah. the time and supported their album, and I think there was twenty five people in this huge room maybe maybe, maybe. maybe. i mean it, it may have been 15 including the bartender i mean it was <laughs> it was it was a tiny group there was and, nobody there and they blew the roof off the joint yeah. and this is a touring band so i can only imagine how hard it would be for local guys to get people besides their friends to show up and see because there's so much distraction on the strip yeah yeah so uh, these guys the, the name of the, the band comes from uh, a new order song oddly enough called crystal okay uh, where they were talking about the killers, and so no kidding, yeah, that's where they got that's their cool. name was from a New Order song. And so I mean, I'm keep going back to this influence well, but, thing, but, and, but it's it's there. I mean, and we start listening to the album. I mean, for anybody that's familiar with that genre, I mean, this just bleeds it. Yeah, 
It totally does. It absolutely in a, in a, in a good does. way, and, and not in a uh, not in a ripoff way, but and not even in an homage way, but just in the fact that they're just doing it. Well, it's not kitschy, you know. Uh, right. So I, I mentioned Sean Lehman uh, that uh, on an episode or, or two back that uh, she does some social media stuff for Pratt's books that we were at. Yeah. Uh, and, and she she mentioned that she likes like Everly Brothers, you know, that two part harmony. And so I sent her over a group called the Cactus Blossoms, and I said, if you like them, listen to these guys because they sound like the Everly Brothers. Well, to me, when I listen to that, I mean, I think it's cool. You know, I sure. think it's cool to listen to. But those guys are obviously trying to get into a stylistic mode, and they are trying to copy what was already done. You know, uh, with these well, guys, it, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. Well, we were you? talking about no, no, not at all. I think this this is just this is in their DNA. This is yeah. the kind of music they make. When we were starting this, you mentioned uh, bands at the time, and we talked about the Darkness, which was totally doing like this '80s cock rock. Yeah. Thing. But they were doing that exactly. I mean, exactly. That was, yeah, that was not this. That, that that was not the killers. The killers. This is what they sound like. Those guys were doing something from before. Yeah, it, that, that's my problem with Greta Van Fleet. You know, this band that came right. out within the past five years or so. I feel like I own enough Led Zeppelin albums. I could just go listen to that. Yeah, and, and yeah. if, if they not had, that they're bad, I mean the guys are fantastic. They're musicians. Yeah, but. yeah. Uh, I, my problem with them though is when someone pointed out uh, to them, you guys sound almost exactly like. Led Zeppelin, they were like, oh, yeah, we never really heard of them before. <laughs> we never <laughs> noticed that. <laughs> you. You're you lying. know you have, man. You're so just, full of shit. Just, just be honest with it. But, but these guys, I mean, they straight out said, yeah, we took our name from this New Order song. Uh, these were know. the bands we liked. Yeah. This is what the kind of music we wanted to write. We, we absolutely, uh, the singer is absolutely faking a Manchester accent with, uh, you know, instead of like the long eye, he's going, oi. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, for whatever reason, that was the affectation. You put on, but man, it, it, really it sure works. works. Yeah, yeah. So the way this album came about, uh, this was their demo album. They put together a group of songs that they were trying to create this new sound. They were gigging around Vegas on the strip, off the strip, any place they could go. Uh, you mentioned before that they were in uh, in some transsexual clubs <laughs> right, or something yeah. like that, where uh, I, they they were kind of famous for playing a lot of those in the early days. Yeah, yeah. In uh, you know, Brandon again. If he has this like pretty boy hipster kind of sure. androgynous look to him, and so you can totally see how that would work yeah. in their favor for for booking the gigs sure. like that. Yeah, uh, and he even has in, in the most popular song as we get into it. Uh, you know, the line is, "Somebody told me you, you had, had a boyfriend, boyfriend that looked, looked like, like a the girlfriend." girlfriend. You're right. Yeah, and so I mean, he he's kind of playing. He's on playing that. along. With, he's playing around with it. Playing along with it. Sure. Uh, I think it works for the image for him quite well. Yeah, uh, and if if I just look at him, he kind of has that look. Remember Pete Yorn. Yeah, uh, so he kind of had that look as well, kind of in that same time. But I mean, I think the Killers have totally outlasted. Uh, what was the name of that group? I, uh, I, I don't. I'll think about it in a second. But um, <laughs> Fall Out Boy. Ah, yeah, okay. Was the name of the group. Uh, so these guys put together a demo album with that uh, they had recorded in Dave's apartment, and they hooked up with a guy by the name of Jeff Saltzman. He was an attorney. Yeah, that's right. He was an attorney. He wanted to be a producer. Yeah. That was something he aspired to do. He was a manager of Green Day at one point. Okay. Uh, and he and Brandon got together and got to be buds. And so he, they set him up with a studio. They went out and bought him the so- some recording software and uh, just let him play around with it. Right? And so they put together these... It's it's so funny reading this uh, the story and you can find this on like if you just Google it it'll pop right up. They put together this album. They're like, this is our sound. This was in two thousand one. Uh, a group named the Strokes had an album <laughs> called 
is this it? Is this it? Right. And Brandon talks about going to, I think it was Tower, was it Tower Records that he said I he, think he so, and Dave yeah. went to. They went and bought the album because they heard it was coming back. They put it in and they're completely dejected because that is the exact thing that they were going for, right? Right. That kind of uh, revival, 70s, hipster rock kind of thing. Yeah. And so whatever they were before, I'd, I'm interested to know what that demo tape It, it would be interesting like. to find that demo tape and see what those songs sounded like. Because yeah. obviously, with the exception of one... All the rest of those are lost to history. That's right. So let's talk about that one. Uh, every single song, once they heard the strokes, is this it, they dumped all the songs. And they said, we're out of this. We're going in a totally We're going to rewrite an entire new album. Except for one song called Mr. Brightside. Bright yeah. Which is also, and so I find this hilarious, that was the very first song that Brandon and Dave wrote. That was the very first one that the they, they got one. together, right? Yeah. You get two guys together. They write a song. Like normally how that would work is you write a song and then you get better at writing songs and you write some better songs. <laughs> yeah. But they wrote like this jewel right out of the gate, kept it. And it's still like, as you just just said, they play it at every single show since then. Every show that they have ever performed as the killers, right, uh, has included Mr. Brightside. That's a, because that, that was the first song that they wrote. They had it on this first demo. They, they gigged around to try to get better. When they ditched everything else, they put it on this new album. They have never, the Killers have never performed a concert without performing Mr. Brightside. That is just unbelievable That's to wild. me. Yeah, that, 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 it's your first song, and it's so good, and everybody likes it so much, and you're not tired of it yet. That <laughs> you still play <laughs> yeah, it at every yeah. show. That's crazy to me. I, you know, I, if you listen to like Kiss and those guys, they I think dress, the album Dressed to Kill came out in 73 or 74, uh, and it had rock and roll all night on it. Right. That's the Kiss song. Like, right. That's their anthem. Give me a Kiss song. You know, that's the song that you always hear. And those guys have performed it so many times ad infinitum over and over and over. You know, uh, I, I think that's different than this. I think don't, so, Don't too. you think? I, I think they, to your Kiss reference, I think they play it because they have to. They have to. Yeah. But even the amount of times that they've played that, uh, they still don't have the record that all of their shows have always included that because right. they had one or two albums even before Dress to Kill came out. Right. Right. And so they. Yeah, that's a little different when it starts, when you start with the song and take it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely on that. And I don't think you'd find a lot of bands that do that or that actually still enjoy playing it. You know, what did you hear from a lot of bands that have been around for a long time? You know, when you get those candid interviews and they go, oh, I'm so tired of this song. <laughs> I got to do it one more time. Can we skip it on Thursday? You know, we'll bring it back out Saturday. But do we have to play it Thursday? Just give me one day off and let's yeah. play something new, you know. <laughs> but even with Kiss, with that that huge spectacle that they are with the flames and the lights and uh, all the makeup uh, and the silly boots and the whole yeah, nine yards. Yeah. The, the demon face and the bite in the blood capsule and Gene, Gene Simmons' <laughs> Gene wickedly weird tongue. You 46 know, inch like, long tongue or whatever <laughs> that thing is. <laughs> And his whole, like, I'm a sex god, right. Shannon Tweed <laughs> scene that he's got going on. Uh, with that, you can almost see, though, that the killers, they took a, they took some inspiration from that. Because, again, with, you know, their name and lights and the palm from the, trees. From the theatrics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. From, from, from the show, if you will. From the performance. And when I say theatrics, I don't mean that in, like, a negative way. Just, like, from the show that they're putting on for their yeah. fans. Yeah. Lots of energy, too. Yeah. Did you notice that? I, I've never seen them live. Well, uh, they're very energetic. Yeah. They yeah. put on a huge show. They jump around. And, I mean, Brandon Flowers is putting it all in there every single night. Every so, single, yeah. Uh, when he's doing Mr. Brightside, I mean, it doesn't matter if he's done it every single show. He's still... You know, giving well, the people they, a show. They, they do it as hard as they can every time. Yeah. Mr. Brightside on Spotify has been downloaded 1.16 billion times. That was billion with a B. 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 Yeah. Just wow. from Spotify alone. Uh, 
so, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, this was their debut album. This was the very first thing that they, as artists, created and put right. out. Uh, and it, it, the, the lasting impression that they have had just on, you know, creating a genre of music. You know, for the better part of 16 years, these guys have been on the charts. They're constantly up there. They're constantly singing these songs. Right. Uh, and it keeps getting better. Uh, let's talk about the chart positions real quick. Go for it. Uh, this album, Hot Fuss, has sold 7 million dollars, uh, seven million copies worldwide. That's incredible. Uh, three times platinum in the U.S., seven times platinum in the U.K. And again, they once they started getting big... Uh, it was because they did some early shows in the UK, in tour right. around the UK. Well, and that would seem to be a natural audience for them. Yeah. You know, given the sound. Sure. That, that new wave, like exactly. British pop sound. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, but once they took off over there, and so they recorded a video for Mr. Brightside, if I remember correctly, and then, which was like kind of black and white and kind of artsy. And then after they had their next single come out, which we'll talk about when we get there, then they went back and re-recorded, made another video, which is the kind of uh, the the full color, kind of a little bit more. Um, it's that vaudeville thing. You vaudeville. There yeah. you go. And so they had two videos for the same song <laughs> because it was so popular that the record company was like, "Let's make another video. Let's make a better video." And, so, and I think that, but it was yeah, that was after what you're talking. Like they broke in England and then they started to break over here and then like hit the MTV market. I, I think that they released Mr. I'm sorry, it was. Uh, they, they released one of the songs. I can't remember what it was, and it just didn't do that well. And then once Mr. Brightside started getting big, uh, it was uh, Somebody Told Me. Somebody, somebody Told, told Me, me right. was first released, and it just didn't sell that well. Mr. Brightside gets huge uh, from this album, and then they re-released Somebody Told Me, and it, and it blows, blows up. up. And that was the first song I heard from them on the radio. I was like, wow, that's interesting. I, I like that. But I... I have no memory of hearing Mr. Brightside before I heard somebody told me. So. Yeah, me neither. I, I remember somebody that was told the, me. That was the album. I, that was the song I bought the album for. Yeah. It, and it kind of has this, like, draw you in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. kind of brings you right in, and it's rocking, and the drums are going, and just lots of lick. I mean, just just a really, really rocking song. Very catchy rocking song, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mentioned 173 weeks straight on the U.K. charts, uh, more than any other album in the entire aughts. So for the past 20 years, this album outperformed all of them. That's incredible. Uh, it is listed as number 30 on the UK's album chart of the century is how many sales that it's had. <laughs> that's, so that, that's, that's not like music nerds from Rolling, Rolling Stone or Pitchfork. I mean, this is just like straight up sales. Right. What the people think. Yeah. So n- number 30 overall, and that includes pop sensations. You know, the, the Britney Spears stuff. That that's got everything. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Beyonce or Jay Z or or one of one of these huge pop or Lady Gaga, right. these guys are right there, in right the, there with them. Yeah, num- number thirty of all the sales. Uh, Spotify listens. I mentioned Mr. Brightside with one point one six billion total downloads just on Spotify. Somebody told me had has a uh, four hundred and seventeen million downloads. All these things you have done. 205 million, Smile Like You Mean It, 103 million, and then Jenny Was a Friend of Mine, which is the first song, 46 million downloads. Some bands would be happy if they had 46 million downloads, like, for the whole, their whole catalog. Yeah. (laughs) That's unbelievable. Well, real quick, Aggie Math, if I add this up, I mean, you're right at two... You're right at 2 billion downloads yeah. for just this one album, and it's your very first album you've ever and made. just on Spotify. Just on Spotify. Yeah. We're yeah. not including all the other streaming platforms or however many albums they sold. Yeah. yeah. Th- these cats are rich. They are, they've got to be <laughs> rich. Beyond their wildest right? means. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Wildest dreams. But oddly enough, the reviews vary. And I think that is interesting. And we kind of – I think we touched on that a little bit when we were getting started when I was like, you know, people hear it and like, no, 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 listen to it. It's good. I, I think a lot of reviewers – 
didn't know what to do with it probably because mm-hmm. it did have that like the 80s sound it's like yeah. ah, this is this is over i don't want this or maybe the lyrics are and eh, this is i don't take this seriously enough I, I don't think they necessarily fit into a lot of reviewers preconceived notions of what the band's sound was supposed to be yeah i think you're right and i think when you first hear it you think it's pop sounding and so it's got to be vapid right you know it's it's got to have no tooth behind it but you go and read it and uh i tell you what there's Brent, a, Brendan's a hell of a poet. Yeah, yeah, there's some actual, there's some really interesting songs on here. And uh, like I told you, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. I, I think he's, I think his lyrics are witty. Very witty. He has yeah. a great sense of humor, but you got to listen to it to catch it. You know, he seems deep. He seems like yeah. a pretty deep guy. Uh, he was raised Mormon. He's from Utah. Uh, raised Mormon. I think he's still a practitioner. That's my understanding. Of the, yeah. of the Mormon arts. That's my understanding. I, I think he's got a, a family that he, his, you know, he and his wife, they have a family that right. that they bring up in, in the Mormon tradition. So, Correct. you know, it, it's interesting that some of his songs, you would think, well, you know, obviously he's got some saccharine songs and right. they got to be sweet. He's got a song on here about AIDS. So, right. I mean, that he, he and, plays in the and darkness. Mur- and murders very, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, posto facto, what's happened since? Oh, and uh, on the reviews, um, the independent and all music have this rated as five stars. Pitchfork and Q have it rated way low. Right. Like, the Pitchfork review of this I went and reread is like the, the guy just trashed it. Totally trashed it. Yeah. Trashed it. Just said it was terrible. You think, the worst you think he just, like he didn't get it? I, I, would, I would love to know what that guy thinks about it now. That's an interesting question, right? Especially since they just keep releasing albums that everybody keeps loving. Yeah. I mean, and granted, their trajectory, you know, the album sales aren't what they were in the beginning, but they're still a huge band. Yeah. So. Here's some accolades for you. Uh, Gigwise says that rates this the number one debut album of all time well, that is a that's a bold statement yeah nme has this as number 495 of the 500 greatest albums ever ever uh, rolling stone has this as number 43 of the top 100 albums of the 2000s rolling stone also has this as the number 33 greatest debut album of all time and rolling stone's Readers, there was a reader poll, and they ranked it number nine overall of the greatest, the greatest debuts. debut albums wow. ever. So let's talk about some debut albums so of it, note. It, Go and, ahead. And real quick, just a full disclosure: when I picked this album, I picked it because I like listening to it. I had I had no idea what the uh, reviews or the I mean, I knew it sold a bunch of albums, but the stuff that we do to prepare for this, this was all a surprise to me. I had no idea that it either. was this popular. That, yeah. bl- that blows my mind. I l- love to sing along with us with the songs. Never really. Fully had no idea it was this. this popular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and over the past month and a half or so that we've had this on cue, man, I, I have have gotten into this so much to the point where, man, I've been practicing. Jitty <laughs> was a friend of mine <laughs> playing the bass on bass. Yeah. yeah, because that is such a cool bass. Yeah, line, such a fun man. one to jam around with. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about debut albums of note. What a fun subject. What is your favorite debut album? Man, that, and that's tough. I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, it's hard to pick. It really is. Uh, there's been some great ones. Like Pearl Jam's, for instance, yep. is a, a fantastic, just right out of the gate. I Pearl knew Jam I was, 10. I knew I was going to love those guys forever yeah. with that, and it was such a fantastic album. Um, and Jeff Buckley, Grace. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, that's also the only album the we only got album, out of him. Yeah, because but, Jeff Buckley unfortunately drowned uh, before this album even hit big. But, I mean, that is an album that definitely was like, wow, who is this guy, and why is he here, and give me more of him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do, th- those two would be at the top of my list, Me too. I think. Yeah, me too. I- I'll, give you some, uh, I'll give you some to choose from. Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction was a debut album. 
uh, that's a well I mean in the time period and the music that they were doing that's fantastic and it's definitely I think a lot of the tracks on there have stood the test of time way better than a lot of other stuff that was released around then you bet Stevie Ray Vaughan's Texas Flood was a 1983 debut uh, album consummate Texas blues man that guy changed a whole lot of stuff the uh Highest selling debut album of all time is Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell. Oh, for fuck's sake. Why do we have to keep talking about Meatloaf? How does Meatloaf keep coming back around on all these? uh, What is that all about? 14 times platinum. Unbelievable. (laughs) So many albums. Uh, And and, and I don't don't say this as an exaggeration. I literally don't know anybody that admits to liking Meatloaf. Who did he sell all these albums to? I don't know. 14 million albums. I mean, of course, that that album came out in the mid-70s. I mean, that's over several decades. But still, that's a huge amount of albums. But all the other ones came out. How about uh, Beastie Boys' License to Ill in 86, I believe? Yeah. Uh, That was another game changer. Yeah. How about NWA's Straight Outta Compton? Another game changer. Self-titled albums that were debut albums by The Clash, the Pretenders, The Cars, Van Halen, and The Doors, all debut albums. And those are all great albums. Yeah. I, it, it, it's and, and I know every single one of them, when those albums came out, you know, their their intention is to be huge. Right. And I, I wonder, though, like, if you could go back, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it would be difficult to talk to Joe Strummer at this point because he's not alive. But <laughs> sure, you know, I, I would that love would to go, be a, that would be a hindrance. Yeah, I, I would love to go back and ask him when you were when the Clash. Uh, Joe Strummer was the singer of, of the Clash uh, when you guys were doing London Calling, right? And when you were doing um, a Daddy of a Little Bank Robber, right. you know, when, when you guys were putting this together, did you think it was going to be huge? Did you think? Did you did you have it within yourself? Did you have the the belief in yourself that it was going to be as big as you? As you believed it was, sure. And hindsight is, is always twenty twenty. Sure, yeah. Uh, but I just I just wonder if the Doors, you know, if if uh, Ray Manzarek and those cats of the Doors, <laughs> when they were on the beach smoking weed, and if they're like, man, we're going to conquer the world with this. Yeah, we're, this is going to like define an entire generation. Or if Van Halen, you know, when when those guys were coming out of L.A. and it was all cocaine and party, we are literally going to change the West Coast music scene with this. Or N.W.A. I mean, they, they changed all e- of rap. Yeah, Everything changed. Everything. Yeah. 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 I, I just wonder if, the, if that the, was their intention. Was yeah, the, the debut album is such a such an interesting conversation. We could try and we could probably do. I mean, we just talked about several. We could do a whole podcast just over debut oh, albums yeah. and the impact that they had on the music genre. Um, I mean, you didn't mention Nirvana's, um, you know, and I'm on record as thinking Nirvana's a little overrated, but their debut album definitely changed. Well. No, it didn't because their debut album was called Bleach. Well, n- yes, but that did open up a lot of a lot of the guys that weren't getting signed up there that nobody's ever sure. heard oh, of. I, I get, get yeah, yeah. going. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the guys nobody's ever heard of ended up getting signed, and then people heard of them because that album made people happy. Now their next album was Nevermind. Was Nevermind, which is the one that completely exploded. Yeah. but Bleach was still influential and and mattered, but it it wasn't the one that took them anywhere. Sure, and, and I want except I, back to the recording studio. <laughs> I, I would exclude albums that were one-hit wonders, like the Violent Femmes had one album that had Blister in the Sun, uh, and unless you're a hardcore Violent Femmes fan, you probably don't know any of the other ones. Sure. But, I mean, to me, that, I, mean, I, I guess, you know, you could consider that a, a well, really big debut album, but it, not, not, not like not really, this. Not like any of the ones we just discussed. No. Yeah. Not, certainly not like, not like The Killers. Not like Appetite for Destruction. Right. You know, go to any pro sports or college sports uh, game, 
and tell me that the, the PA they're not going to play Welcome to the Jungle, regardless of what their mascot <laughs> is. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Like, like at A&M, uh, I think that they play Welcome to the Jungle there. The Jungle? There, there are no, no Aggies in the Jungle? <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys did the same thing. This is College Station. There is no Jungle here. <laughs> the first kickoff for the Dallas Cowboys was Welcome to the Jungle. Well, there, there are no Cowboys in the Jungle, you know? Right, exactly. Um, but they still play it. So, I mean, that, that's, it's a huge album. Uh, it, it's funny that this album, No Hot Fuss, uh, could is is put on the 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 same level as yeah. Appetite and of all these albums you just mentioned, which are by these huge bands, and you know, I would just I would never have even being such a fan of this band and this album, I had not put their debut in the same level as those other ones we just discussed. But on sales and impact, it obviously is. So there you 100, go. 173 weeks straight on the UK charts, crazy. One point six billion downloads for one song, and and this was all created. Uh, when when Jeff Saltzman, this guy who was an attorney who worked in the music industry and wanted to become a producer, uh, they went and set him up with a. Uh, they got him. <laughs> this is funny. They set him up with like a, uh, like, I don't know if you'd call it a mobile studio or or whatever you. I mean, they bought him a computer and they bought him this software called Echo Farm. Yeah, he, so he had he had the Echo Farm plugin, mm-hmm. which Line Six has it now. I don't remember if they were the ones that created it or not, but. Or at least they have a modulation for it. But, yeah, it does delay, yeah. reverb, things of that nature. And I, it, I don't mean to steal your thunder here. Were you going to talk about You're not stealing anything, my okay. friend. You just keep talking. So they, he rec- literally recorded the whole album on almost the same setting, which was the default setting. The, like the default the, reverb The out-of-the-box. Yeah, like he literally pulled the thing out of the box, plugged it in, pressed button number one. Brandon sang and he went, hey, that sounds great. And they did the album with that. So they, they get this massive thing that they could tweak and do whatever they wanted to and literally just pulled it out, press number one, and that's what they recorded the album with, it, which is insane to me. And this was 2004 when computers were powerful enough that you could buy a computer and do everything on it. You know, before right. everything was done on a mixing board. Right. Uh, like right now, the way our, our podcast is set up is we have some microphones. We have microphone stands. Uh, it looks like a real live recording studio here in our office at CDS. Uh, but off to the side, we've got we've got a mixing board. That everything goes into. We have a headphones uh, splitter so that we can hear what we're talking about, and then we have a digital recorder. Uh, this is really an analog way to go about this. And this is how music was always recorded right. until you got to this point where computers could be powerful enough to run these uh, these digital audio workstations. In, in the beginning of the aughts is when this started, right? I mean, yeah. people were using Pro Tools in the studios, and you're, you're moving away from. You still got you might have boards, but the boards are all running into a computer kind of right. thing. So right. it's starting to change. So this this album is kind of at the beginning of that revolution in recording process, and I Absolutely. think the Echo Farm was pretty much was almost brand new when they got I think it for it was this too. album. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't really play it like you talked about. I mean, it was set at eighty six milliseconds on the on the Echo or the delay, uh, and it kind of shaped this entire new well, stadium it, rock sound. I mean, it yeah, sounds like a live recording. I was going to say that it makes his vocals sound live. Yeah, it sounds like a huge arena that yes. he's, we've slipped back into arena rock. Yes, exactly, exactly. And we always yearn for, uh, for nostalgia, you know, and we always want to go back to like recreating what we what we loved. And I don't think these guys did this with this style. This is a, I mean, this is this is hipster stadium rock. Yeah, with, before, with, before that was a thing, right? I mean, this is kind of when it's the begin. I, I would say it's at the beginning of that. Sure, with, with big Vegas style, exactly, right? Uh, 
they were copying that British New Wave sound. And so they will right. straight out tell you they were Duran Duran fans. You know, right. Simon Le Bon had this, like, I think Simon Le Bon's voice, the singer of Duran Duran, I think he has one of the coolest voices of that entire era. Well, and I think these guys remind me a lot of Duran Duran with, like, the videos and just the way that that was done with all of the the pomp and circumstance and yeah. the way the shows were and what the fashion, you know, how they were so into that. I think these guys really definitely paid a lot of I don't know if they borrowed it or they paid tribute to it or something, but they were doing that. How about influenced? I influenced. think they were just influenced. There we go. Yeah. Because they, they liked it so much that like that's what I want to be when I grow up kind sure. of thing. Yeah. Because they were also influenced by some of that dour, sour darkness of Morrissey. Uh, oh, sure. And also some of that androgyny of Morrissey. You know, Morrissey was always like this thin, svelte. You couldn't really tell, like, is this guy, is he... What's going, what's going on is, here? Is he yeah. effeminate? Is he gay? Is he... What's he trying to be right. here? And that and, was part of his That was part of his image. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and Brandon Brandon definitely has some of that going for him as well. He, he does. And, and they toured with Morrissey, and so you could see that coming through. And then, of course, I mentioned the Peter Hook, uh, Joy, Joy Division, Division and, yeah. and New Order stuff. So when they toured with uh, Morrissey, was that... Uh, during that first little bit when they were becoming popular in England, yeah. or was that later after I, they broke? I, I think it was during that time because all this kind of happened at the same time. Okay, you know, I, I think that the, from what I've read, they kind of had a meteoric rise. I mean, it went, once it started, it went pretty quick. It just happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the the Beatles, uh, McCartney and Lennon, uh, talked about just that fatigue that they had because they they literally went to Germany when they first started getting big, and then they exploded, and then their lives were different. And they you never know, stopped being different. Yeah, it, yeah. And, they, and they never stopped becoming the most recognizable humans ever. Sure. You know, uh, I, I wonder if that's the case with these guys. You know, obviously they don't have, you know, it, it's not Ringo Starr. Sure. You know, it's well, Vinucci. So, I mean. Well, I would say that uh, Ronnie Vinucci Jr. looks like a guy that you could be hanging out at a bar with and talk to for an hour before you recognized him as the drummer of the Killers. I mean, he just looks like a normal guy. Sure. Sure. And, and most of the rest of them look just kind of, well, looks like kind of hip dudes, you know, yeah. but that's about it. But they don't. It's not like the Beatles. Yeah, versus like Brandon Flowers, it looked like like you took a structure catalog and shook right, it and fell right. out. You know? <laughs> oh, there he is. Just hey, found him. He and by the way, I don't mean that as an insult. That's just what he looks like. Right, listen, I wish I looked like that. <laughs> exactly. You know, Good looking guy. Whatever. Um, that that Manchester accent, that mid-country British accent, you know, that sounds British. And then when you listen to it real close, you're like, I, I, I can't tell if that's an affectation or if that's just the style he was going for. Or, or, or yeah, maybe to your point, uh, maybe that's just what he liked. I mean, maybe that's what he grew up enjoying singing. And that's just kind of how he made his voice. Well, who, who was he influenced by? He was influenced Those by guys, Durant, yeah. and Morrissey and, and New Order. I mean, th- he was influenced well, by that. So well, you'll, you'll he end was up copying a, it. Yeah, you'll, you'll end up uh, copying somebody's style accidentally. Sure. If you practice it enough. You know, I mean, if you're a guitar player that all you do is learn Eddie Van Halen licks over and over and over again, and you try and go do some original music, you're going to find yourself playing Eddie Van Halen licks. Right? Sure. You know, it's just one of, or, or any other instrument for that matter. I mean, vocals are going to be the same. Yeah, and, and like Garth Brooks, I mean, he's a good example because he was a rock and roll guy when he first started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you hear him talking, you know, outside of his, like, fake, humble, corn pone <laughs> bullshit that he puts <laughs> right, on. Right. You know, when he sings, it's just, everything's rodeo. Yeah, and he exactly. was just copying Chris Ledoux. So, I mean. Spent a lot of time singing that guy's stuff, and then there you go. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it, influence will always copy, but, is, you know, is it copying or is it, you know, you're actually paying homage? to the to the style or is it or, or does it become organic just because you've done it that way so many times yeah i, I made a note that the cover art for this uh, it is uh from a beijing suburb there are some high rises and there are some chinese letters and right. those letters write out the words construction material 
development, which I, th- I think that's, that's actually kind of that's cool kind of interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's a if you haven't seen the cover, it is it's cool because it's just it's very sparse. It just says you know, it says big blue sky and it says the killers hot fuzz, and then it's got just those buildings that Michael just talked about just right underneath it, and it's it's very it's kind of striking. I, and I think that those. The buildings kind of fade away because, like, it's the the picture is mostly sky, exactly, and mostly their logo. And if you look real close, you're like, oh, there are buildings here with these neon letters on them that right. say material construction development. I mean, it, it's artsy and cool. Sure, but, yeah, totally is. Uh, my last notes before we got into it was I wanted to talk about three songs called the Murder Trilogy. Yes, very cool. Yeah. Uh, so the very first song on this album is Jenny was a friend of mine. And it is the last song of this group of songs called the Murdered Trilogy. Right. And it's it makes sense to open the album with it as when we get into it, you'll see it's a very, very striking opener for it. But it is about uh, it's, it's a it's a police interview. Yeah, it, it is. It is an interrogation of someone where there's been a murder and it's it's both sides. And so you right. have this guy who potentially may have killed someone and he's being interrogated. Right. And he's saying I, I know what you're doing here, or maybe the, it's the detective that's saying, I know what you're doing, like you're trying to fence with me or whatever, uh, with, with whatever alibi. Uh, they're talking about a murder that happened out on the Lake Mead Marina right. promenade. Uh, they're, they're and in, his in defense is Jenny was a friend of mine. Yeah, I, I could never kill this girl. I wouldn't she do that. She was a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the story goes that this guy and this girl break up, and uh, that starts off with a song that was originally on the demo album first off. Uh, called Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf. Right. So this is not on this album. It didn't make the cut, but it is on their collection of B-sides and other songs called Sawdust, Sawdust. which came out after. 2007, I think. is what I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, that album is this couple. They're breaking up, and he's saying the only thing that he – like, take whatever you want to, but leave the bourbon on the <laughs> shelf. Leave the bourbon on the yeah. shelf, right. Take, take the albums, you know. Take, take the take furniture, take, take the cat, just leave <laughs> yeah, the bourbon on the shelf. Here comes yeah. the breakup. Uh, so from that, there is uh, the, the next in the trilogy is a song called Midnight Show, and it's actually on this album. I right. think it's track nine or ten. Uh, and so this is – the narrator is taking this girl, Jenny, to a concert, and he's talking about having the materials in his car. He has a blanket that he's going to be using in this right. movie. It's very it's, ominous. It's quite, right? dark. it's quite dark, yeah. Yeah. And then we end with Jenny was a friend of mine, which is, again, was this police interrogation where right. the murders happened. You know, and, and his defense is, I could never do that. You know, I, she was a friend of mine. I loved her. I would right. never do this. That's kind of a flimsy. Uh, it, it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> did, did you know that they uh, they had an idea for a film based on this? Based on the trilogy? Yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah. So that they were. it was going to be a story that they were going to put together. But they got so big that. There's no time for that sort of didn't thing. have time. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, let, let's run through a little bit, just uh, last minute details on this. It was released in 2004, in June of 2004. Uh, record label was Island Records. Uh, most of this was recorded uh, in Berkeley, California, or uh, Cornerstone, which is in L.A., and they also did quite a bit of the early demos and work at Dave, the guitar player's apartment in Las Vegas. I, I saw that. Uh, so Venucci was going to school at, at uh, UNLV. UNLV, yeah. yeah. And they would sneak into his would, dorm room, <laughs> and they would also sneak into the band hall 
That's right. At so, night to yeah, practice. so they would sneak into the UNLV band hall and then practice there and then sneak back out, which, so, is, which is so rock and roll, right? Man, that is that's so, so rock cool. and roll. That is yeah. so cool. Like, we can't even afford electricity, and they're going to like, – did? I guess because the drums were there, so they'd sneak in and he'd play well, the drums. Well, I guess because he was a student in the music program, he had access to the hall, so he would sneak them in. So just bring your, bring your guitars. And, and we'll plug into the PAs and we'll go kind yeah, of thing. The, the yeah, the drums are already there. The keyboard's there. The amps are there. We'll just we'll plug make it in work. and play. Yeah, and go. And so <laughs> while that is, like, super rock and roll, like sneaking into rehearse, it's also, like, really high and rock and roll because it wasn't like they were sneaking to rehearse in somebody's garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were rehearsing at the UNLV band hall. Or like a storage facility or right, something exactly. like that that some people do. And uh, we, it was so terrible. We had to work with millions of dollars of equipment. <laughs> you mentioned Island Records. Uh, did I see, I, I saw this, uh, I thought I saw this somewhere, that Def Jam bought Island Records? Is I that think, right? I think they did, yeah. So, but it wasn't Don't Def quote Jam. me on that. It, it wasn't at that point. It was just Island right, Records. Right, right, right. Some indie yeah, record correct, label? Correct. Got it. That's my understanding. Yeah. Uh, there is a song. Uh, there are two songs. All These Things You Have Done and Andy, You're a Star, that they have a gospel group singing backup called Sweet Inspirations. Right. Uh, the engineer on this was Brian Big Bass Gardner. And there was a girl named Corlene Bird that did the mix on a song, Everything Will Be All Right. Now, I, I did note that there was also some mixing that happened in London. Yeah, I saw that as well, and I don't know which songs were which, or if that was like pre-production, post-production, or what. But it was there's a lot of mixing going on. Yeah, I mean, the, the, and the, it's a very well mixed album, so it really obviously is. Obviously, all the people involved in it knew what they were doing. Yeah, I, I had notes for Mark Needham and Alan Mulder, and then the Eden Studios in London where they mixed it, and the Townhouse in London where they mixed it, and then the Bernie Bernie Grundin, Grundman. Right. I mean, just they're just kind of all over the place. Yeah, this, this, is, this is either in London or somewhere in California. Yeah, I mean. It, Really, this album never should have been, but man, is it ever. You know, it's just huge. There it is. Boom. And now we have this fantastic album of rock and roll songs. Yeah. Easily the most British band that is not British yeah. is what we're about to listen to. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a little break. Going to hear from a couple of our sponsors. Uh, and then we're going to come back and we're just going to do some rocking. How's that sound to Sounds like a great idea. Sounds good to me, too. All right. So this is the uh, the Killers 2004 album, Hot Fuzz. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, this is Dan Jablons from Retail Smart Guys. If you're listening to this Our Favorite Album podcast and you know Jason and Michael, then maybe you're in retail. And if you are, then you should know that my company, Retail Smart Guys, could help your company achieve better sales, greater profits, greater cash flow, and a whole lot more fun. So visit www.retailsmartguys.com or call my personal sale at 818-720-2585 and I'll tell you more about it. Attention retail store owners. Imagine this. Your customer walks in and is greeted by an associate with a tablet in hand. As they browse the store, your rep makes recommendations based on their current selections, all the while building an accurate customer profile that you can use to improve business. On the back end, this powerful retail management software ensures you have the correct inventory on hand, follows up with customers to bring them back to the store, and provide the best possible service. Turn each and every one of your employees into a superstar at RetailProDemo.com. That's Retail ProDemo.com. If you have any questions, if you have any comments to listen to past episodes, if you think we got something wrong and you need to correct us, 
reach us at ourfavoritealbums.com. You can find us on Twitter at Our Fave Albums, on Facebook at Our Favorite Albums. You can find us on all of the majors. Shopify, not Shopify, Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. Shopify and Spotify are two totally different things, right? They are. If we, if, <laughs> if we were if we were actually on Shopify, that would be a very different conversation. Uh, you know what? I'm, if we ever get any T-shirts or stuff, something we'll we put may them be on, on Shopify. Shopify. There, you yeah. go. there you but go. But you can listen to us on Spotify, Spotify, on Apple, on Amazon, on Deezer, on just about any, uh, whatever your podcast is. Uh, find us out there. If you want to get in contact with us, send us an email at info at ourfavoritealbums.com. I want to give a quick shout out to Bob at the Bend and Scoop podcast. Uh, this is a podcast that, uh, really cool podcast that Bob reached out to us, uh, listened to a couple of our episodes, and uh, he actually interviewed us. And so by the time you're listening to this, our episode uh, featured on Bend and Scoop should be out. And so find them on bendandscoop.com or on Twitter at, at bendscoop. Thanks so much to Bob. I had a lot of fun doing that that interview. That was really cool. That was a great experience. Yeah. And and his um his format was really cool too because he takes indie bands that he was trying to get some exposure for. Yeah, get a little tra- likes, get a little right? traction, get them out there and yeah. let people hear them, which yeah. is which is awesome because there's so many great bands. Yeah, you know, we talked about on his podcast that you know, you can turn into the old guy on the corner just screaming about the fact that rock and roll sucks now, <laughs> but there is actually some good music out there, yeah. and guys like him are the ones that are getting it out there for us to hear. Sure. And, and back on episode six, I think, was the one uh, where we did Soul Hat. We talked about yeah. the fact that uh, th- the greatest musician you've never heard is probably on the street in some place like Austin sure. that's busking for money, you know, uh, and he's he might even have a degree in music theory, but that's where he is out there. You know, hey. and so these unknown musicians that are just everywhere. I mean, ending up being a full-time uh, rock and roll musician, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of effort and work that has to go into it, but there's a huge amount of luck, too, right? Right place at the right time. That's right. A bunch of kick-ass musicians in bars that you probably wouldn't walk in playing for beer, you know? <laughs> that's right. Well, check out the Bend and Scoop podcast. Again, thanks to Bob. Uh, and check out our, uh, our episode that uh, should be out on the Bend and Scoop podcast this week. Today, we are talking about the 2004 album by The Killers called Hot Fuss. Uh, Now, before we talked a little bit about The Killers and how they came about their name, right, because it came from a New Order song, uh, my theory is that this was a concept album that they put together where they were going, it was supposed to be like Killers, like they were telling about The Killers, which goes into that murder trilogy. Right. And I wonder about the name Hot Fuss. Do you think that was like fuzz, like the the police? Because you have the element of the police interrogation here. You know, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I, I couldn't figure out how they came up with the name Hot Fuss. Did it's, you? No, I ha- I do not know. Um, it's it's cool. Yeah, but really I cool. have no idea. There's there probably if we could ever get the guys on the phone, they'd probably tell us there was a story behind <laughs> yeah. it. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I tell you what, if if we figure out a way to get. Uh, Anyone from The Killers, a band that has over 2 billion downloads off five songs, <laughs> right. if we can get them on the phone, then we have done good. If, for you guys, if any of you guys happen to hear the podcast, please give us a call. We'd love to hear what you think about it. <laughs> uh, so a couple things that we're listening for here. Um, uh, 11, 12 tracks. How many tracks do we have on this? Well, we've got the, uh, we have, we've we've got got the bonus tracks on and the bonus. Yeah, because right? we've got the bonus on here, so this is actually going to be 12 tracks. Yeah, so originally it was 11 tracks. Correct. Um, for the North American release. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of felt that there was some filler on the back end of this. I thought that the songs up front were really cool, and they kind of maybe lost some ideas and 
kind of lost yeah. their way. I don't know. We, we get our way through there. I'll, I'll share my thoughts on that. But I, I understand where you're coming from. Gotcha. So, uh, without further ado, this is Hot Fuss by The Killers. Track one, this is Ginny Was a Friend of Mine. This is the part of the aforementioned murder trilogy. And I, as we talked about in the previous segment, this kind of, to me, this sounds like helicopters and sirens yeah. and radios. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> like you're about to find the body kind of thing. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Well, and this was the first submission into the murder trilogy. Listen to this bass. Oh, God damn, that's so good. Uh, but this was the... Mar- Mark's, this- Mark's bass playing is... One of, if not my favorite part of most of the songs yeah. on this album, my favorite part. It's so good. It kind of follows with that new order. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, that '80s British new wave sound with yeah. that real bass forward. It's great. Yeah. When was the last time you heard a rock song that had the word promenade <laughs> Prom- in it? Prom- well, he's pretending to be British. <laughs> right, right. So this was the first submission for the Murder Trilogy, but this is actually part three. So this is the finale of Correct. the Murder yeah, Trilogy. Yeah, so we're actually right? leading off the album with the last song in the trilogy. Yeah. yeah. That cool bass line there. Uh, I like man. how he's like galloping. That's fun to play, by the way. Well, that is so Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thing, right? That yeah. is so cool. Yeah. And I love the fact that we're talking about like a British kind of really British 80s inspired pop band but there's a, so much rock and roll going on here yeah. don't overlook it wow Brendan Flowers uh, Brendan Flowers voice man he pushes that I think he really does and yeah. it's, it's, I really like it when he pushes it because it kind of breaks a little bit when it gets to the high part but in a cool way yeah like a really cool way so the song is like an interrogation he's being interrogated by the police after the murder correct uh, and he says here I know my rights I've been here all day and it's time for either you to charge me with something or just let or me go. To let me yeah, go. Let me go. Yeah. And it, right here, it's like he breaks where he goes, I can't take this anymore. You, know, you guys keep asking me this. and I, like, I really swear I told him. you the truth. Yeah. I love that vocal break there. But this is the second time he ends both of the verses with this this whole she couldn't scream while I held her close and I swore I'd never let her go. I mean, wow. that is so dark, right? It's really dark. So I love. Dave's guitar playing on this, just that really understated yeah. single note stuff. And he does that all throughout this album, and it's really cool. Yeah, he does. It, it, and I think that calls back to some of that 80s new it wave absolutely, stuff. Well. It absolutely does. Yeah. There's like a call and response here. Tell me what you want to know. Come on, come on. Tell me what you know. Oh, yeah. And then the interrogator's going, whispers in my ear, I know what you're doing. Here. I know what you're come doing. Come on, here. man. Yeah. Just tell us what happened. So, uh, <laughs> we talked about the inspiration from Morrissey. So Brandon Flowers says that he took inspiration from the Morrissey song "Sister, I'm a Poet" uh, for the murder trilogy. For the murder trilogy, yeah, the oh, that's cool. Like murder, yeah. Ooh, those harmonics. Uh, the bass harmonics. That is so cool. Yeah. And now we're getting a lot of synth here too. Like really yes. picking up the synth. Yeah. You know, we talked in the uh, first segment about how there's a lot of like rock and roll people that would probably think this is too synth forward, and you you didn't think so, but you really liked the new wave stuff way yeah. more than I did. Sure. And so this is kind of what I'm talking about that there's so much of it, but and maybe it's because I've listened to this album a million times, but I just think it works. Well, it's mixed really, really well. Yeah. I mean, they, they really did a good job on this mix. So even though you have 
Ronnie Fanucci Jr. back there just killing it on the Just drums, killing it, yeah. Right? Uh, and you had this bass forward, and you had the licks back there that you were talking about, those arpeggio licks. Are they arpeggios or just like It's, back it's and more forth? like single note run stuff, yeah. 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 What a great way to start <laughs> this album. Oh, out, man, I'll tell you what. Yeah. We, and I'm glad they opened with that and not this, although this is a fantastic song, but that just kind of sets the tone. So this is yeah. track number two coming up. This is Mr. Brightside, which we talked about before. It's about a breakup. He has, he's broken up with this girl, uh, and he's trying to stay positive. Uh, I had a note that it's written almost like he's a peeping Tom, like looking into the window. Yeah, he, he's, he's, like, he's like he's stalking his ex-girlfriend, yeah. right? Yeah. And th- this, this reminds me of the police's every breath you take, yeah. which yeah. sounds really sweet and everybody thinks it's neat, but it's not. It's stalking. It's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes a stalker. And so I think we talked about this initially, that this was the first song that they wrote. Um, and if we didn't, I'll say this. So this is the very first song that David Brandon wrote together. Like when they first got together as yeah. a band, they sat down and wrote this song. And this is, I think you mentioned, the only song that they have played at every single show they've ever had. They have never had a concert where they didn't play this song in their existence. I mean, it's unbelievable. There are a few bands that could say that, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and, and the fact that, like, I've seen these guys twice. I think I mentioned that. And... This song always is just full of energy, and yeah. they seem like they enjoy themselves. And then you can go find them on YouTube playing this a couple years ago at a live concert somewhere, and they still seem like they're enjoying yeah. themselves. That's that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Love, I love this melody. You know, the melody just sticks out to me just like over and over and over. Talk about like, like just ball. capturing magic the first time you sit down to write a song where you write this chorus that is so great that people are still singing along to it. Yeah. You can walk into a bar right now anywhere that this song came on and there would be a whole bunch of people in the bar singing along with the chorus at the top yeah. of their lungs. Yeah. And kind of that elephant blasting synthesizer there which yeah. it's a little bit crunchy, you know, and like like you'd almost feel the ecstasy flowing through you, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the right. light show and all that. And I like the fact that his lyrics, he has a sense of humor a lot of times yeah. with his lyrics. There's kind of a tongue-in-cheekness, which I think can be overlooked as being superficial, but I think it's serious. Sure. Yeah, I, I think he does it intentionally, and I think it, it's amusing, and I think it really adds something to it. Yeah, I got that. I mean, it's poppy, and it sounds, you know, yeah. it sounds like a dance, and it sounds like we're in a club, <laughs> but it's really deep and really dark, Yeah, well-written poetry. Yeah, there. I agree. This single is it went two times platinum in the U.S. on sales alone, not just downloads. Like this is before the download. Yeah, but back before we had that kind of thing. Yeah. Two times platinum, uh, three times platinum in the U.K. That's it unbelievable. Spent over 200 weeks total in the U.K.'s top 100, more than any other song in the last 20 years. That's incredible. Yeah. And I love his rhyming on the chorus there. That whole swimming through lullabies, choking on alibis. I'm just like. Those are complex rhyming. Yeah, and it's really cool. But he makes it sound so effortless and catchy all at the same time. God, Fanucci's killing on those drums. Oh, he like, is. He, he changes modes from time to time. when he, like, he, He'll be playing something like this, kind of understated, even though it's like that gallop you were talking about. Right, here comes right. a little bit of gallop, too, right here. It's almost like that, like building aggression inside this guy. He just, yeah, he's so jealous and he can't take what he's seen in the window. Well, once again, it's like big rock and roll drums, but kind of with that new wave. Yeah. Look back, going. It, it, it's a good mix. Understated bass, but man, it's it's groovy bass there, right? It drives. It really drives the song. And 
And, and Dave is so good about not overplaying on the songs. He's only going to play a couple of guitar solos on this album, and everything else is just perfect. So this is track number three coming up. This is Smile Like You Mean It. It's so dark and new wavy, man. It is, isn't it? <laughs> there's there's so much power here in this mix. You know, you, you've got you've got four really good players. Um, I think the synth is is probably the weakest of the players. You know, sure. even though it's kind of there, but it's not like he's doing any kind of. Like crazy Eddie Van Halen runs or anything on the. It, on it almost the ends up being like an accent piece, right? It just yeah, kind of sets bit. the melody. Yeah. yeah. And so once again, with driving bass, great drums, and then here's you know Dave just doing those single note riff kind of thing, yeah. lick kind of things on that before he settles into chords. God, it sounds like U two to me. You know what? That's a really solid reference. There is a whole lot of U two here. Yeah. The early U two stuff. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, in 2004, I saw an interview with Brandon where they asked him, and this is right when this album came out, so these guys are getting ready to explode on the world stage, and he's like, what, what do you want to be? And he was like, I'd like to be America's U2. Really? Talk about setting your... <laughs> talk about setting the bar. <laughs> Those are lofty goals, man. Yeah. I mean, this is 2004 when U2's been one of the biggest selling bands in the world for two decades, so... My notes say that they, they wrote this in eight minutes. Wow. And it was just like a jam song. Just put it together and it sounded yeah. perfect, so they went on with it. But it ended up being number 15 on the American Billboard charts, on the, on the modern rock charts. Wow, that's amazing. I, I wonder if we still have a modern rock chart. I wonder about that, too, because we had college rock back when you and I were young, and yeah. then we had modern rock. I wonder if any of that even exists anymore. The, the sonic wall that these guys have created in this mix just feels so thick, you know? There's just, like, so much texture. And just... it, it, it's touchable, right? Like, yeah. you almost feel like yeah. you could reach out and touch it. Yeah. So but here comes one of his random few guitar solos. That sounds like The Edge. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. The Edge of the guitar player for YouTube. For YouTube, yeah. yeah. It's melodic. It's to the point. It fits the song perfectly, and they're right back into it. Bridge time. Weird little, they were using Echo Farm there. I guess they were using the was that the button three or yeah. two, maybe. Yes. <laughs> Default plus one. <laughs> Default plus one. Let me just turn the dial up a little bit. We'll try that. But listen to Fanucci back there. Just killing it. Just yeah, killing just like, it. Yeah. Just kind of setting the mode, even with the exact same song. He just kind of has these different movements with the drums that changes everything. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point because the chord, the chord, everything hasn't changed. He's changing the mood. Yeah. He's a very musical drummer. Yeah. yeah. He's busy. He's a very busy drummer. Yeah, yeah. And that is a great bass line. You know, Mark plays with a pick, which really? kind of gives it that little bit more of a kind attack. Of that bite. Yeah, yeah, that little, little attack sound to it. I have a hard time playing the bass with a pick. I, I'm, I, a, I'm a finger picker. I, I think... You know, bass players I've known over the years, it's either one way or the other. Yeah. Most people don't go back and forth. It's yeah. one or the other. But it definitely gives it, brings it up in the mix and gives it a more of a presence. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. It's a cool syncopated beat there. That's cool. And we're out. 
My goodness, that's a big one. It is. All right, so this is the song that everybody knows. This yeah, is track this is the four. One. This is Somebody Told Me. This is the Supernova. This is the one that has 1.16 billion downloads, not to mention all the sales. This this is the song that totally propelled them into the stratosphere. Yeah, th- this is a song that my, when I was telling my mother which uh, album we were <laughs> recording, I was telling her, I was like, it's somebody somebody told me. And she's like, how's it going? So I sang it to her. And she's like, yeah, I know that song. Yeah, I've heard that song. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love... Dave's guitar on this where he's just back there just like dude that is straight up the edge too, right yeah, yeah. There's, and there's a U2 song that I will it's kind of got that similar yeah. kind of yeah yeah so they, they actually released this twice the first time they released it they didn't have great sales and so they released it again and then it went huge. And didn't you tell me there were two different videos for this for this song, or is it Mr. Brightside? Brightside had two different gotcha, videos. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But one, one, the second video came because this song went through the roof, and so they went and made another video for Brightside. So I think we talked about this uh, in the intro a little bit, but these guys had a little bit of a history when they first got started at playing uh, transvestite clubs, one <laughs> yeah. particularly in a Vegas, and that line was inspired by that. Was it? So th- there's a weird androgyny here that they're kind of playing around is, with, yeah. right? Somebody told me you had a boyfriend that looked like a girlfriend that I had in February of last year. Uh, but my notes say that this song was actually written about writing songs, right? That's so, interesting, okay. Yeah, and so the whole thing is that this song sounds like another song that you may have heard, which is the exact same thing that we're doing right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point, okay. <laughs> we're going, no, this sounds like this, this sounds like this. I love that that kind of dance beat thing that they kick into on the chorus. It's yeah. just like so, it's, like, it's infectious. I mean, you can totally see this like picked right off the Vegas Strip, like in a club, oh, right? absolutely, absolutely, big show, huge yeah. energy, the whole nine yards. And Dave, Dave doing those one note guitar, like one two, just like really cool note guitar riffs there. Yeah. I mean, and the drums have changed two different modes there. Yeah. And his time is great. I mean, he's got a great rhythm. It's just like right on beat. He's, he's right on top of things. Yeah. Man, that's it's just it's such a drabby rock song. It really man. is, isn't it? And then he pushes his voice. You know, he doesn't have an incredible range, but his, right. his upper end is uh, a lot of power. It's really but, cool. Yeah, I, I love it when he pushes it. Yeah, just kind of it just kind of breaks enough to be like real rock and roll and cool, but it's still on key, on point, well done. Wow, what a killer track! Dang, what a great song. This is track five. This is all these things that I have done. This is the first track on the album that has that gospel uh, gospel oh, cards, right? Yeah, sweet inspirations. You know, and, and we talked about the fact that he grew up in the LDS church. Correct, yeah. And so, you know, you, <laughs> I could totally see where he'd pull inspiration from, you know, the Mormon Tabernacle yeah, Choir thing. Yeah, the whole, the whole big choir experience. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, absolutely. This song has a lot of interesting mood changes in it. Yeah. 
there's a little bit of a four on the floor beat going on here, but he changes it up so it's not like you know, like Mumford and Sons. Every single song is <laughs> yeah, it, it never it never goes anywhere else with those guys. Yeah. yeah. Those guys have a bad case of one song. I just <laughs> they totally do. But you know, I, I love the Beatles jangle pop bass. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's a groovy bass line right there. And, and he can play so many complicated things, but this is him just laying back and hitting the groove on the song and just killing the groove. Yeah. So in sticking with that Beatles thing, we're gonna get to. There's a bridge where he repeats. Like this mantra, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier, over and over and over. Over and over, and that's probably the most sing-along famous part of this song. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that's very Beatles-esque, you know, John Lennon and the whole I, Jai Guru Deva Om. Sure, sure, just, it just, just taking that repetition and just going and going and going and going with it. This is bass right here. I mean, he went up high there, yeah. didn't he? The two-part harmonies, they're really good on this. <laughs> that's really good. Okay, so once again, second verse, but they're going to play this different than they did it the first time around, so it just makes it feel so much more interesting. I like that line, these changes ain't changing me, that cold-hearted boy I used to be. Yeah, it is kind of wild that he was raised in this religious environment, this religious family and so many of these songs are about really dark things. That, yeah, like, you know, play, playing in the tram clubs and, you know, the HIV. So there's a song about yeah, a girl we're gonna that has to that HIV. Towards the end. Yeah, that's and, right. And they've got a murder song. And well, you know, and I think the – I read an interview with him or about him, and I, I can't remember exactly how – who said what about this. But this I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier was kind of about the fact that – He's not. He didn't consider himself to be a moral warrior for the way he was raised, but sure. he did consider that he was in the right place and grounded in it. Sure, I got so, that. You know, so with the dark, like he's out there. He's like, hey, I got this, but you know, I'm I'm not out here, cr- yeah. parading around for this. But I, I've got it. So sure. it's, it's an interesting. That is interesting. If it's if it's autobiographical, it fits really well. With it's what we were just it's his about. religious religion, but he's not religious, right? Like he's not, yeah, like it's in there, but he's not going to be out there knocking on doors for it. I got it. Yeah. And this is that mantra over and over and over. Yeah. Big high that there's that gospel choir in the back there. Yeah. I like that line. You've got to help me out. Don't put me on the back burner. What if he's talking to himself here? I, I wonder about that. You gonna bring yourself down? Yeah, you, you've done some bad things, but you're a good person. I've got yeah. soul, but I'm not a soldier. So. Don't put yourself on the back burner. You're gonna bring yourself down if you do that. Over and in, last call for sin. While everybody's lost, the battle is won. With all these things I've done. All these things I've done, time, truth, and hearts, if you can hold on. Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah he's, he's having a kind of an existential crisis here, Crisis right? of conscience there, maybe a little bit, yeah. And squeezed into what, at first listen, we talked about this uh, in the first segment, that I was, one of the things I said was like a lot of my rock and roll friends, like you hear all the, the keyboards and the kind of dance beats, it's like... Stick with it. There's more here than that. Yeah. And like this is a very deep song that's dropped inside a real kind of poppy sing-along 
Happy this, thing. This whole album ended up, I, I thought this was way more pop than it is, but this is a way deeper, you know, this isn't just like Britney Spears jumping around and dancing to yeah, exactly. whatever vapid lyrics. I mean, there, there's a lot of in, <laughs> right. in-depth stuff here, right? Not only solid musicianship, but really cool lyrics, too. Yeah. For the most part, no. As you said, there's going to be a few at the end that aren't quite the same. But <laughs> this is track number six. This is Andy, You're a Star. This is an interesting song. It is. He, he wrote this about a high school bully that used to bully him that was an athlete. Okay. And like track star kind of guy, like yeah. the king of the school kind of. He says, on the field, I remember you were incredible. Hey, shut up. Shut up. I remember you were incredible. Shut up. Shut up. On the match with the boys, you think you were alone. With the pain that you drain from love in a car with a girl, promise me she's not your world. So it, I, I can't tell. It's, it's almost like he has a little bit of a crush on this guy. Is it a crush or is it like that uh, kind of that admiration, like I'd like to be like you? Like a man crush? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe. Well, you know, and, and maybe it's hidden here. You know, with Anna Androgyny, maybe he wrote this where it was almost uh, like yeah, you know, hiding behind the fact that it looks like he's got a crush on this boy. And obviously, he, he says on the match with boys, so obviously he has no idea about actual athletics. Because here in America, we don't say the match. Well, th- this this song obviously went over well in England. Yeah, <laughs> match hell. He's just like us. He's on the pitch. <laughs> the uh, the music on this is very interesting. Real kind of this does have this has a very indie rock feel to it. Very ominous sounding too, yeah. right? In you know the first five tracks, we talked a lot about the rhythm section and how much was going on there, and this is just like super laid back for the most part, not yeah. much happening. But he says, "Leave your number on the locker, and I'll give you a call." Yeah. So yeah. like, is there is there a hidden affair going on here between this boy that would tease him, and that's why he would tease him because is, is, is it infatuation or is it genuine admiration? And I'd like to be your friend. I, I think that, I think the fun thing about it is he leaves enough of it open for interpretation. Yeah. And maybe he's jealous with the girl in the girl with the car. Promise me she's not your world. So I wonder maybe if he's like you have to keep the appearance of being a normal right. jock, hetero jock, but really you're having this affair with another guy. Well, and this is interesting. The chorus is Andy, you're a star, and we've already established that he's the sports star. But then he goes in nobody's eyes but mine. Ah, that's kind of interesting. It's really interesting. It's so indie sounding. This is. One of the more indie songs on the album. But the, the plane is just still so flawless. Yeah. It's slowed down. You know, the first yeah. four or five tracks it was just kind of like build and kind of heavy with energy and tempo, but this is really slowed this, down. This really brings it down a lot. Ooh, those squishy tones are real crunchy. Very much. A little synth bass there. Yeah. I have a synth-based setting on one of my pedals. I had to figure out how to play it. <laughs> I'm not that good at bass. Well, I'm assuming that was probably just Brandon doubling Mark with synth bass on actual bass, which is why it sounds so fat and fuzzy. Could have been. Okay, this is track number seven. This is On Top. This is a killer song. It's a killer song. <laughs> it's a killer song by the killers. <laughs> So 80s pop, man. Okay, so just listen to the drums at the beginning of this. (laughs) 
I love that. So this is obviously an 80s inspired. He, he brings up the Rio reference. You think he's calling back to Duran Duran there a little bit maybe? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, at first you think Rio like he had gone to uh, Rio de Janeiro. But yeah, it makes sense. Remember, we were listening to Rio. Listening yeah, to Duran yeah, Duran. yeah. Like we're yeah, at the I club and Rio's on. Yeah. Man, those arpeggios on that guitar are just so So cool, aren't they? And they're kind of echoey. We're back to the little single note riff stuff. Listen to the drums back here. I mean, we're in the studio and I'm shaking my head to this. I mean, it's just, you you can't help it. It's infectious. Yeah. So he's talking about he and a girl would get high on drugs. But now that he's on top, he can't do that anymore. So it's ah, like, he, okay, you know, back then when we were listening to Rio, we could do this stuff. But now that now we can't, yeah, I can't do that anymore. I love the way the guitar and the bass and the drums, the notes he's playing, all they just all just roll together. Yeah. So shimmery, it really like, is. Very eighties shimmery. Yeah. yeah. I love that line. We bring the bump to the grind. <laughs> we don't mind. What, what the hell does that even mean? I don't but know. It's like it's still it's pop. Like, yeah. It's like Las Vegas bombasticness, though, right? <laughs> totally. Ooh, that was cool. A little key change there. We'll yeah, step that, up. Yeah. These guys will throw in a weird key change from time to time. Which is a very mature songwriting yeah. kind of technique for guys that literally just wrote this. And just started learning to play with each other. And yeah, exactly. Mean, that, that's actually... Well, like we talked about, in the, they threw away all the songs for the demo that they had just recorded, except right. for Brightside. So these are songs that they had just written, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe a year of working on this stuff. It was incredible. Yeah. This is a cool instrumental break. Back to those cool drums. Kind of that bouncy British little sip. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we'll get a nice little guitar part here. Yeah, that kind of has a little bit of the sounds of the the Kings of Leon from uh, Come Around Sundown. You, you know, know what it does? Echoey, right. yeah. echoey chorus yeah. guitar, yeah, absolutely. But it has some overdrive on it, so it yeah. has a little bit of tooth on it. The Damn, <laughs> yeah. that's a hell of a fill there. That was cool. But we've changed. We've done a key change. Yeah, yeah, they're they're hopping back. So much energy. I mean, just the... You know, this, this was written and recorded to sound like a live recording, you know? Right. Even though it's in a, in a studio, but man, it really does feel like we're in a... You feel the energy. Yeah. You totally feel like the energy. It feels like we're at a live show here. This is uh, track number eight. This is Change Your Mind. Uh, 
probably the song on the album that I like the least. I, I would agree with you. Um, I, I I noticed that neither one of us have any notes on this one. Which is usually a tell. I mean, it's, it's kind of that filler thing, you know? It's it's a good song. It's, it's not a bad song by any stretch of the imagination, but I think with what we've just heard, it just doesn't... Does it rise to sure. the top with the rest sure. of them? Yeah, and I wonder if because they were writing brand new songs and adding them to this collection of songs, I wonder if they were just like, we got to have some more here to. Sure, to we, we need we need eleven songs to get the album going. We already had one. We got to write ten more songs. So, or the best ten we came up with. You know, that, that makes sense. But you know, both of you, you and I both will get into an album and we'll listen to it and go, I don't really care for this album. It's not like we. I, I don't hate this song. Or album, I said album. This song, we'll hear a song like, yeah, this is my least favorite. Sure. I, I don't hate this song. I can listen to this song. It's really not that memorable to me. There's really not here any kind of story that I'm taking away from it. It's just kind of, you know. If this had been their first single as a, or any of their singles, as opposed to all the ones that were, maybe the album wouldn't have taken off like it did. Yeah. It's not a bad song, but... It's not boring in and of itself, but it's you know, compared to the rest, it's yeah. just kind of, I don't know. I mean, this kind of seems to me like your kind of standard, like, love, like, boy meets girl track, you know? Yeah. Kind of directionless on the on whatever romance he's he's adding in here, pop romance. Yeah, there's not a real, not a real solid narrative to it like there tends to be with the songs that we've listened to already but yeah. you know whatever it's a good song well okay. this maybe this is a song like when they play it in concert like the, even their ardent fans are listening to it like yeah what, what song is this which album is this song I don't, I don't remember this change your mind <laughs> it's like, is this a new one no no it's like five <laughs> albums ago okay okay can we shazam a live recording because <laughs> uh, I don't know the song Oh, kids that don't know how good they have it with the Shazam today. <laughs> I forgot how good I didn't have it. Right. <laughs> uh, to me, even the interesting parts of the song are kind of boring. You know, even like when they go up into the register and even when the guitar is playing some cool stuff there, it's just like, okay, I mean, yeah, it's just nothing complicated. It's a, It's the middle of the album. It is what it is. Yeah. Sounds good though. Well performed, well recorded, well mixed. I mean, nothing bad about it. All right, come on, let's go. Let's wrap the song up. <laughs> <laughs> and we're out. Yeah. Finally. Now this is an interesting song. Yeah. So this is track nine. This is "Believe Me, Natalie," and I mentioned before uh, that they have some pretty dark topics and this is about a girl from new york that parties hard and catches hiv from a, a dirty needle and dies he mentions soho here so that's the right how we know but it's interesting because i think all of these guys other than dave they were all from either nevada or, or utah or somewhere out west and then they're talking about new york dave is from iowa so i don't yeah it's like interesting it's east coast man i love that Fits the fits the story, maybe. But it's it's a dark song, cool song. Yeah, it is. Really cool imagery here, where he says, "There's an old cliche under your Monet. Remember the arch of roses right above your couch. Forget what they said in Soho. Leave the oh nos out. 
There's an old cliche under your Monet. I mean, just, I mean that's a that's a cool, really cool neat verse, rhyming cool course. Yeah. yeah, it's really nice. Talking about a painting that was in her in her apartment. Yeah, like maybe it, it's got a, it's got a little bit of nostalgia to it. Like thinking back, obviously, which yeah, makes sense. Bit. Yeah. She's dying. This is your last chance to find a go-go dance to disco to, right? And remember when we would get high and you know get ripped out on heroin and sit there and just look at the the Monet picture. Just have a great time. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. a cool change, yeah. yeah. Just building emotion and yeah. tension. There are a few times on this where it's like that YouTube video of the the drummer that's just going completely ape shit at that wedding, you know, and just like right. he's at the wrong show. Like sometimes <laughs> I feel as like Fanucci's back there, like just kind of going wild. It's like what, what are you doing? Really? I mean, it, but it doesn't not fit. It's just I think it makes it cooler, actually. Yeah. It, yeah. Cool stop and pick up there. Cool. And this bass isn't near as busy as some of the stuff that Mark's done before, but once again, it's just it's spot on. Yeah. These are the songs when I first started learning to play bass that I would I'll try to listen to because it's easy. Uh, and I'm like, oh, this is what I need, you know? <laughs> right, right. I need where it's just like four notes in a you know in a bar. Sure. Well, and he kind of, once again, they sound like you too yeah. in a lot of ways on this. And, and I don't mean that to say they sound uh, derivative. It's just, it's that style. Sure. And it, it just kind of textures in that, like, waterfall. That da 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 It's kind of back there. There's still a wall of sound. Totally. It's just an understated wall of sound yeah. now. Oh, those dissonant tones in that side that. And here, it sounds so what, sad. What a change. Again, he, Fanucci changes modes all throughout here just by changing his beat and changing his attack on the drums. And, and it's dramatic. Like, yeah. it really makes the songs interesting. And I like how they went into the chorus, and it was different. And then they break, and now it gets big back into the chorus. And this is, if there's anything more 80s than synthesized horns, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Throw in the trumpets? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they weren't trumpets. It was still synthesized. Yeah, yeah. He gets a little sing-songy on some of this. Sure. You know, kind of flowing, but... You know, and I mentioned that there was some filler on this on the back half of this, but I... I don't know if it's filler or if it's just like a totally different style of, of song. Well, I think the last track, as we talked about, was a little filler. Yeah. You mean the original last track? No, the one that we just one listened to. The, oh, the past, oh, the past I, track, I see, sorry. I see, I see what you mean. Yeah, it, it definitely was filler. That lyric is interesting. God help me somehow. There's no time for survival left. The time is now because this might be your last chance to disco. Well, that last dance. Yeah. And then the big build. It's really sad. It is. It is. You know, this is uh, this just hit me. I hadn't thought about this, but one of your favorite songs when we did our initial uh, podcast on our favorite songs is a song about a girl dying of cancer. Yeah. By Jason Isbell. Yeah. 
which follows a similar kind of narrative, if you will. But this is just that story in a completely different genre. Yeah. Live your life in one last night. Yeah. yeah, yeah this, this is what we got left. There's not much left here. Yeah. Leave it all on the dance floor because this is your last chance at disco. That's actually a really cool song. Mm. Yeah. This is track number 10. This is Midnight Show. So this was the second submission of the murder trilogy. Oh, the murder trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so this is where he's, he's planning the murder. He says, I've got a blanket on the back seat on my mind. <laughs> so... Like, yep. This is where it's happening. And, and again, with the U2, it's like 80s, almost like London Calling type. Yeah, th- this has a, that, so much of that British, uh, like post punk yeah. new wave stuff yeah. going on in it. Yeah. That guitar right there screams that time period. It totally does. She turned her face to speak, but no one heard her cry. So he's he's killing this girl, right? It's happening tonight, yeah. yeah. He, he is taking her out on that promenade, and he is going to choke her to death and then put her in the water so that she disappears? I mean, is that where we're going with it? I think that's exactly where we're going. Yeah. Hmm. You want to look up her skirt? Yeah. <laughs> Did he rape her before he killed her? I don't know. That's a good question. That's what, I mean, I want to look up your skirt. We're just in time for let me to take something a little more off your mind. You know, yeah. we were just a, we were such a good thing. It's it's like he's giving her one more chance. Yeah, make it go away without a word. Promise me you'll stay and fix these things. I've heard like because she was out with another guy. I, entirely, yeah, it's entirely possible. But he can't. He's he's got to he's got to go through with this. Man, this is so dark. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really interesting. It's Susie and the Banshees, uh, spellbound. <laughs> Man, that does have a lot of Susie and the Banshees to yeah. it. Good catch. And there's that edge rhythm stuff in the background going on too. But it's like it's, it's a film noir murder type, without question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this song sounds like it was at night, a midnight show. Obviously, they went. To a midnight show, and now he's at the. Oh, we're gonna slow down to the murder here. I took my baby's breath beneath the chandelier of the stars and watched her disappear. He killed her and pushed her in the lake, right? Yeah, exactly. Right underneath the sky, man. It was a nice guy. Killed her underneath the nice guy. Pushed her down in the water. Watched her disappear. And there you go. That face. Mark and Ronnie are just driving this thing. Yeah. Almost a little disco thing on the hi-hat there, just like driving this thing along. And this whole thing's about, this whole like outro is about if you can keep a secret. Like her secret in the lake? Well, yeah, what's that old line about uh, like two can keep a secret if one of them are dead or whatever that is? You know? <laughs> yeah. That real high-pitched background vocal there. She said she loved me. That's just kind of like ethereal. Wow. (laughs) 
Okay. This is almost, uh, we, we talked about them uh, in the intro that Brandon has said that they took all their British influences and filtered them through the sun, the strip. Yeah. You know, the Vegas strip because yeah. that was through there. This is like the end of a show, right? It's like Eleanor Rigby. Uh, there you go. The Beatles, Beatles yeah, reference which, which again, but it, it fits. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, man. Come on, wrap the, it up. That theatrics that just keeps going, you know. So this is track 11. This is called Everything Will Be All Right. And on the original release, this ended the album. Yeah. So I wonder if he's, is he telling himself everything's going to be okay? You know, listen. So, you know, maybe this was, I, I'm telling you, man, this this was almost a concept album. And they, they well, pulled out at the and, last and minute. I, and I think that fits. Like, this is not officially part of the murder yeah. trilogy. But if you listen to the lyrics on this... Oh, there's the doot and doos. Uh, you got your the doot and doos. God damn it. Yay, the doot and doos. <laughs> you and your goddamn the doot and doos. It kind of fits with the end of it, right? Yeah. So it kind of has this boozy drunkenness, staggering... Like stumbling down the strip at night kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, again with that like crime noir. Yeah. It's like, what have I done? I won't forget you. And he's like, just kind of like, he's gotten himself drunk after killing this girl. Yeah. And then he tells himself in the chorus, everything will be all right. He just repeats that over and over and over again. It's going to be okay. You did everything right. Man, that is so, so boozy. So gin It it really is, isn't it? And I actually like this as the end to the album better than the bonus track. I feel like it bookends yeah there's the rest of the songs you know and if they'd included leave the bourbon on the shelf you know it, it really would have made this then we would have had the whole so thing and it would have really fit with your idea of this being more of a concept yeah that they wanted to be the killers they were writing about killers right songs and so uh, if you're not aware at home uh Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf is on their, and we may have talked about this earlier, but it's in the singles and B-sides album, Sawdust, that was released a few years later. Everything's going to be okay. I'm all right. I'm all right. But just kind of bumping into walls and dragging his feet. With that synthesizer and that kind of electronic drums in the background, it really is such a boozy, hazy, stumbly kind of vibe, isn't it? Kind of a dream state. Like, did I just imagine what I've this terrible thing I've done? And, And you know, with with all the lights on the strip, you can just totally see somebody just kind of stumbling around in that, right? People everywhere kind of lost in his head. Totally. It's like a totally different song, like a different movement, right? The, the lyrics on this like fit so well with that. I wasn't shopping for a doll, to say the least. I thought I've seen them all, but then you took me by surprise, and I'm dreaming about those dreamy eyes. Yeah, he, this <laughs> this has to go with the it murder has to, scene, right? Yeah. So maybe he's even like wishing, like, why didn't I just let her go? Take your suitcase. I don't mind. You know, whatever. We'll, everything's gonna be okay, but. By this point, it's too late. It's too late he's to he's already it, yeah. committed the act, and so he, he when can't he says get that, out of it. He says that line there, and then he goes, I never knew, I never knew, but it, uh, but it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. yeah. Apologizing to himself and her after the fact, perhaps? It, I mean, it's if this is a live performance, this whole album, this would be a, a cool way to end the, the story you know, absolutely kind of ended 
those steps with the drums pop to pop was stumbling down the strip at night. And obviously it's perfectly in time, but with the laziness of the keyboards and the lyrics, it does feel stumbly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's catching a little grace note on the splash cymbal. It looks this. Hear that? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's almost, it almost sounds like it's out of rhythm, you know, where it's like his walking is just a little bit off. It's one of those things that kind of, like, your brain hears it, but even if you don't notice it, so it kind of fucks with you a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or maybe a hiccup. Hey, there you go, yeah. there you go. That's a good, that's a good one. I like that. Okay. And now we, we get into a vamp sometimes on some of these songs. Yeah. It's like, how, how are we going to end this? You know, it's got to. And just a little bit of stadium rock where everyone holds up a lighter and everything will be over. And they just kind of sway back and, back and forth and just keep going and keep yeah. going. And the guitar kicks in and we get a little fun with that. Sure. Yeah. A really thin. Well, once again, the, the, the Vegas, the Vegas sense of theater and showmanship you know so they're, they're giving us this on the album too yeah. yeah i'm sure the producer's going guys probably time to end the song and they're going no 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 no, no. fuck off we know what we're doing here just leave us alone with our vision what do you mean you didn't write an ending <laughs> i refuse but to fade this out there's something audacious about a band that's never recorded an album before because they don't know any better right so then you come in and you just like we just wrote these brand new songs, and this is, we're going to do it our way. Damn it! And then it works, you know. Wait, are we going to get it? Damn it! They faded out. Man, you got your do 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 do's in the fade out song. Well, sorta. Well, I don't know. It's kind of a hybrid fade out. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> Everybody, they faded out the drums, and that was. We're, we're going to give it a pass on the fade out. <laughs> okay, so this is the last. This is the bonus track. This is track number twelve. This is glamorous indie rock and roll. But and this was not on the original album. Correct. This yeah. was added kind of this is, this is a bon- bonus releases. track. Yeah, the first time yeah. I heard this was on Sawdust, but they went back and added it probably before that. But it's yeah. not on any of my copies. Uh, this, I guess, would be a good like, uh, like an encore, like encore. encore yeah, because it's going to be very sing alongy here in a little bit. He's doing it, that Manchester. Oh, I'm, oh, oh, I'm British. So there's two things on this. So first of all, that bass line is oh, just crazy. sick. I love that. So Brandon said that they used to play some, uh, there's a particular indie club in Vegas they played a lot when they got going, and just the snooty bullshit from all the indie rockers just annoyed the shit out of him, so he kind of wrote this song making fun of them. Really? A little bit. And what I love about this is, this is a song about indie rock and roll, which is a stadium (laughs) sing-along. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of 80s ballad. Yeah, exactly, like, right? It's really a great song. It's slow. You know, the back half of this album has really slowed down quite a bit. That fallout on that... Mm. You hear Mark hitting that tom. Sorry, Ronnie hitting that tom kind of at the end of that bass room. Yeah. Just kind of like adds so much coolness. A little key change. 
big rock and roll guitar. A coffee shop with a cause, and then I'll freak you out. How indie is that? <laughs> well, he's really putting that British affectation. He really is. He's in there hard, yeah. yeah. And now here we go. There's a little queen. Queen. Yeah, that is so queen. That's so Brian May. It is. Yeah, they've, they've stepped up a, a, at least a half step or maybe even a full step. Very much so, yeah. How anthemic. It, it, it's Queen. I mean, this is such a Queen track. Yeah, you can really hear that echo. Yeah, from the echo farm. Default setting. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's it more of a delay than an echo, but yeah, yeah. It, it adds that live, that real live sound to the vocals. Yeah. And this is really mature songwriting. Even this song here that I think is. Really superfluous to the rest of the album. I mean, just and they change keys again, again. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I mean, these, these guys have really put together a this pretty is a, complex. This is a very mature, mature song. Yeah, it right. Is. This is the well, all these songs are mature. Oh yeah, this whole album is mature without question. Yeah. You hear the little dip he's doing that? Yeah, that's so cool. He's killing it on the bass. Yeah. And once again, there's Brandon kind of breaking his voice just a little bit, just pushing it far enough. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> ow, ow. <laughs> I don't know. I, I probably could have done without that last song, but... I mean, all in all. I really like the song. I'm just not sure it needed to be at the end yeah, of the album. It didn't fit. And, and really going back and listening to it again, if uh, if it stopped with Everything Will Be All Right, that really flows with the concept Absolutely. of the, and, know, and maybe the murder thing. Put, right? put that song before Everything Will Be All Right. Take out one of the earlier, the two tracks before that that were a little more filler and drop that in there. And that's fun. I, I can deal with that. Yeah. Even if it doesn't necessarily fit the meme. I mean, who knows what was going on there. But sure. it would have worked better than some of the others. But Everything will be all right. It needs to be the end of the song. Yeah, end of the album. Sorry, this is really a kick-ass album. I mean, it's 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 fun. It's listenable. It rocks. It you can kind of have that experience if, if you're if you're listening to, to the album itself. It needs to be loud. It needs to be on the headphones. I mean, it's, very much. Yeah, yeah, either on your headphones or with your stereo cranked up because there's some cool stuff going on and you want to catch all of it. Yeah. It. it I, I don't know. I'm not a huge Killers fan, and so I'm not sure, sure. if the rest of the body of their work is as poignant as this album is. The next album, Samstown, is very good. Yeah. And kind of, I'm not as big of a fan after that. Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, they're still huge. And the fact that they Oh, were yeah, able, yeah, absolutely. They, they set the standard for this style of music in 2004, and it has endured for the better part of 20 years. Yeah, that's now. incredible, isn't it? That's actually really cool. <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And, it, and, and the collection of songs, it's a memorable collection of songs. You know, right. you had four or five songs right off... This thing, like the first five songs were all hits, I think, right? Oh, yeah. And, and the first, I mean, if you listen to this on vinyl, side one is just incredible. Yeah. 
you might find yourself uh, after the first couple songs on side two flipping it back to side one, and that's yeah, that's, were, that's completely yeah. understandable because that's what I normally do. But. Well, and this is a repeatable song, a repeatable album, very you know, much. Just so. keep it on repeat and coming back to it over and over and over. And and frankly, it's one that we expect that you will keep coming back to it over and over because it is one of our favorite albums. Thanks for hanging with us. Our Favorite Albums podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests only. All copyrighted material is presented for review, criticism, or critique only. Content rights are reserved by the copyright owners. This has been a production of Our Favorite Albums.